0: So, okay. tell us about about your your role
1: at Fab Scrap. Cool. Yeah. Well, my name is Erin Weens. I am the reuse coordinator for Fab Scrap in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my role is essentially handling the merchandising and the sales of our reuse room, which is our fabric thrift store.
0: Nice. Um, I've been there once to help volunteer. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah. And it's the the amount of stuff that you guys take in is astronomical. I remember being in there and being like, this is
1: what? (laughs) That has to be one of my like favorite reactions that I see when people come (laughs) in is just like the sheer shock of seeing our like massive mountain.
0: It is literally a mountain in a warehouse. Like that's what it is. (laughs)
1: Yeah, people really think that it's going to be glamorous and you know just totally fabulous, but you walk in, you're like, oh, this is the reality. That this is th- that is commercial waste.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay. So, fab scrap commercial waste. Um, for those of our audience who don't know what fab scrap does, and like the commercial waste of the fashion industry, would you like to give us kind of like the lowdown on all of that?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, fab scrap. We are a fabric and textile recycling nonprofit. So we work with over 500 different brands in New York City to recycle their commercial waste. Um, And very important detail is that this is basically just the design side. So we don't, we're not even really tackling production. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're working with several or over 500 different brands, like for their design process and recycling that commercial waste. And we work on ways to not only recycle it, but to redistribute it to our community. Gotcha. So yes, I remember when I
0: was over there. I remember going through like some jeans and like the half jean kind of thing, and that's that's the whole that the, the design process side of it. Okay, that yeah. makes so much
1: sense. Yeah, we get in most of what we receive, um, and just to give context, also we on a weekly basis we receive from anywhere from five thousand to eight thousand pounds of commercial wheat waste, wow. and about. 60% of that is actually reusable. Mm-hmm. And, but a, lot of, a large percentage of what we receive are sample headers, um, swatches, sample fabrics in general of just like the base of the design process trying to figure out what they wanna do and how they wanna mm-hmm. proceed with production. So we receive a lot of swatches and a lot of our um, volunteers who sort through just like what you did are breaking down those swatches and headers.
0: Yeah. And so is that the kind of stuff that gets turned into like, I remember seeing this like big chunk of like all of the, the mishmash of fabric. Is that, is that what that stuff gets turned into? Yeah.
1: So with the volunteer sorting there, one portion of it is they're sorting for shreddable materials or shreddable fibers. So that is hundred percent cotton, hundred percent wool, um, anything that doesn't have any spandex elastic or Lycra content in it. Mm -hmm. So Anything that can be shredded, the smaller, the tiny, tiny scraps, the the ones that are swatches that aren't really reusable, um, any damaged fabrics that don't have that spandex content in it. Yes, it gets um, completely separated and we send it to a third party shredder Mm -hmm. and it becomes the material that you're talking about, which is called shoddy. And it's used (laughs) for pillow stuffing, mattress stuffing, insulation, Um, there's a lot of really creative people that come into fab scrap who use it for a variety of things so I actually met someone who used it as like kind of like a stuffing for a dress that she was making whoa I know like there's there's a huge variety of ways that people use the shoddy for quilting one person actually came in and she was telling me that she was using it to create an, another fabric. So she was kind of like doing a whole other process to make shoddy into fabric again. Wow. And like made these really cool hats and it was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: wow. That's so cool. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. So yeah, like what what brought you to Fab Scrap? What um, What kind of like inspired you on this career
1: path? Yeah. So I would say that my inspiration for this career path started when I was in college. When I was growing up, uh, my mom and I were super into fashion and we thrifted a lot, but we also spent a lot of time in Forever 21, H&M, those accessible stores that made trends cheap and easy for anyone to get. Mm -hmm. But when I got into college, I watched that documentary, True Cost, Uh, which I think (laughs) changed so many people's lives and like just changed my perspective on the fashion industry entirely. And I remember watching that and for the first time in my life, like feeling that click in my head where I was like, this is what I need to do. Like this, whatever it is, that is my career path. Like it has to be solving this problem. So, and I, I mean, I went to college for marketing and PR, which was not (laughs) what the click was. (laughs) (laughs) I, I quickly tried to find ways to incorporate myself into sustainability, whether it was through like clubs on my school campus or working for companies like Buffalo Exchange and Crossroads Trading Company. Um, But watching that documentary really changed the way I saw the fashion industry Fast forward, I've graduated from college. I'm actually working as an events person, but COVID happens. So everything (laughs) shuts down. Events? What's that? (laughs) Right? I was like, wow, the one industry that just could get completely shut down. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I, and that me getting laid off actually kind of realigned my interest and my like deep passion to be in sustainability. So that's how I found Fab Scrap. Actually, is I looked, I was looking for store resources to get fabric in like the most ethical way possible. And I remember finding Fab Scrap's Instagram and being like, "This is the coolest thing!" Like, I didn't even know this could exist, where this company is taking commercial waste from brands and making it reusable and shoppable. So I actually purchased from Fab Scrap. I followed them for a really long time, and then when I made the move from California to New York, I saw that they were hiring and I just like knew in my heart that I had to apply. And like, I wanted to be a part of this team so badly. And that's how I found my way here. The very long story. Wow. No, but that's so cool though. And I can see like the, I can see
0: the, uh, the chill California in you too, which is so, so refreshing <laughs> As like a, I'm I'm from Long Island, so I feel like I really appreciate when people are just like, yeah, you know, I'm like wow, this I I never grew up around that energy. It's I, I really
1: enjoy it a lot. California energy <laughs> really is. I've had to make a few adjustments being here in Cal in New York, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's always been the dream to be in New York City. But I I appreciate that you can feel my California. Vibe. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, okay, so you said you really wanted to be a part of this team. What's something? Um like big that you guys or something that you're proud that the team has overcome within like the past
1: year? Oh, I would say, I mean, every, I mean, every day and like every week, I'm really in awe of our team. We're very small. We're a team of 13 people and the amount of physical labor that can go into like moving bags and like just the amount of love and passion that all of us have, I think is just constantly really amazing to me. But I would say that this last year has really been defined by our expansion. So we November 15th, our Philadelphia location is opening up and the last like since July, since June, basically since I started with Fab Scrap, Philadelphia and opening and expanding Fab Scrap has been front of mind for the whole Mm -hmm. team. And It's such a huge accomplishment for us to be here at this point because we have gone through so many multiple moves, multiple big gatherings of like moving materials from here to Philadelphia, organizing, figuring out the logistics of how we're going to make Philadelphia work. And I think it says a lot about our team's power and also just the absolute necessity of fact grab to be in more than one place. You know, because right now we've only been in New York for since we started, which is like the last five years. But now that we're expanding into Philadelphia and broadening our reach to more of New Jersey, Washington, DC, Baltimore, Philadelphia, it's really impressive and just amazing to see that this is kind of the start of Fab Scrap becoming more accessible to, to, to anywhere, to more places outside of New York.
0: Yeah. I feel like I so often forget that like things in New York aren't accessible to everyone. I'll <laughs> be like, yeah. okay, cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's in Brooklyn. Great. And then I'm like, oh, right. My friend lives in like Nebraska, of course. Like it's not, it's not accessible to the majority of people. And, um, yeah, that's just really exciting. Yeah. And it's got to feel like really, really satisfying too, to be getting to that step.
1: Yes, definitely. I know that. I mean, especially for our founders, Jess and Camille, like they have been putting so much of themselves into this that I think having this open up and seeing the team grow in this way is is just amazing. And I think this is just like the start of Fab Scrap really expanding and being able to tap into more communities across the United States. And maybe one day going into different countries, we get those questions all the time of like, when are we going to be in LA? When are we going to be in the UK? Uh-huh. It's just, it's, now is kind of the start of that. And it's been a very awakening process, but Mm -hmm. also I'm a very, I'm still a very new team member. So it's been a really cool learning process to see like what it takes to expand and like what we need to do as a team to make it work.
0: Yeah. Wow. So what, um, okay. So what gives you hope for the fashion industry? Like what's your dream of what it could become in like the next 10 years and the role that, like non for profits like uh, FabScrap could play in that.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, honestly, FabScrap gives me hope. <laughs> <laughs> it, it sounds, sounds like it. <laughs> a really lame plug, but it's actually like I working at FabScrap and being a part of it. Like this is what gives me hope, mm-hmm. and to give context and to give perspective on it is that. Fab Scrap has been around for five years, and within this these five years, we have actually diverted over nine hundred thousand pounds of commercial waste from the landfills. Oh and my gosh! In New York City. Yeah. That, wow. And that's only that's like, how much material we have received. Wow. Yeah. That
0: really puts into perspective <laughs> like the amount of commercial waste from just the design process, like. Okay. So exactly. I'm going to like give my, give our listeners a bit of a lowdown in terms, cause I feel like this is such like um, back of pocket information for us working in the industry, but basically yeah. you have your design process where you're looking at what you mentioned, like headers and swatches and all that kind of stuff. You're getting a sense of what kind of fabrics you want to use. And then for something like a pair of jeans, like I had mentioned, you try out the washes on like hat on like one leg um, and you make samples and then you go to the production process after you finalize all that stuff. So the production process is the clothes that you're actually able to buy. Oh, sorry, I, f- I should put my phone on, on uh, quiet. Um, so the, that's the clothes that you're actually able to buy is the stuff in the production process. So that's the even bigger part of it. So this is just the design process. And that's Mm -hmm. okay. I really want to hear it again. The amount of,
1: of pounds that you've diverted from just that part of the process from just that part. And it's, it's just in New York city too. That's just like within our region. So just keeping that in mind for like the amount of waste and just like materials that come in to me, like, being able to do that in just one region and being such a small team, like it gives me hope because Fab Scrap is a very repl- replicable model that can be applied in so many different communities and can solve this issue of commercial waste. I think um, getting it in different states, especially somewhere like LA, like it is so important to not only solve this issue, but to make long lasting change. So, and a very important part of our operation is data. So we collect so much data. We, we, we track how much weight we're coming is coming in from all the different brands that we work with. We track the different amount of weight of shreddable material, uh, spandex, denim, just, we, we have so many different avenues of tracking data, especially with how much is leaving our building. So, how much people are purchasing how much fabric we're giving away for free how much is being shredded how much is not being shredded so we're hoping that in the long run that we're able to refine and get this data as accurate as possible and use it to make long-lasting change yeah. whether it's creating policy working with government officials and like getting something in the long run to like actually. <laughs> bring responsibility and accountability to these companies who create all of this waste. Yeah. Or even just making designer fabrics and designer materials more accessible to mm-hmm. communities, to people who usually wouldn't have that access. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh my right? goodness. It gives yes. me hope.
0: It really gives me hope. It really <laughs> does. And like I think I every once in a while I'll like I'll chat with someone and they'll be like, oh, you know, and then I like, they'll kind of like mention where they got a pair of pants from Amazon or something like that. And they'll get kind of like, you can sense that there's like a shame about it. And I want to like take them by the shoulders and be like, it is not your like one responsibility as one consumer to like single-handedly change this whole entire industry. Like that's where policies come in. That's where all of this data can be used um, to actually make change that's like, significant, you know, and not just, I mean, obviously one person changes great too, but the impact is just, is there's such an opportunity for really deep impact
1: through that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the most brilliant and most harmful PR schemes of the fashion industry is putting the blame and the responsibility on the consumers. Yeah. It's like making us feel like it is our sole responsibility to take on this amount of waste as just like an individual, when in reality, the most impact that can be made and the most important part of it is changing the behavior of companies that are creating this astronomical amount of waste.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Even, okay. So if you could change one thing about either the, de- okay. So you guys use a lot of waste from the design process. If you could change one thing about the design process that you think would have a big impact in terms of the amount of waste, what would that be?
1: Um, I think first I, I should say that I don't come from a design background. So yeah, like no, not no, totally. <laughs> I'm sure about exactly like the intricate details that go into um, this, but I would say, I mean, first, like from what I've gathered and like what I've noticed with Fab Scrap are just like what we receive is that we receive a lot of sample garments. Mm. So these are garments that are marked or mutilated in some way because they've gone through the process of whether or not this is going to become a full product and whether or not it's going to go through production. Yeah. And they have the Sharpie and they draw the Sharpie on the garment. Yeah. So there's, yep. there's, drawing, there's writing all over it. There's slashes in it. It's mutilated in some way. And we receive so much of that and a large portion of why these sample garments are mutilated is because if they're importing them, they will evade taxes or like have a lower tax rate on mutilated garments. So if they're not reusable or not resellable, then they're actually kind of getting a tax break. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But they're like putting something in a landfill, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I think it's one part of the design process or just the fashion industry in general that like, if this aspect of it has changed, like that's a drastic amount of waste that would be reduced Yeah, and a lot more responsibility within the design process. So that's one aspect of it was so like yeah. coming from the fab scrap angle of what we receive and what we've noticed, like is a big thing with sample garments. Um, another yeah. thing is one thing that I've learned with just working here, but also with my experience and background in secondhand clothing buying is the design process, including and in thinking about how clothing can be circular and how mm-hmm. the end life is going to be for clothes I think that it's the, there's the design, how it'll react on the market, but then what happens after it isn't always thought about. And not that it's hundred percent on the responsibility of the designer to think about that, but I do think it needs to be incorporated somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> in somewhere world. in the thought what process. The life. Yeah, yeah. Like what's going to happen to this t-shirt? Like, can it actually be recycled? It's like, we can't only just rely on donation and nonprofits yeah. to do this part of the work. Yeah, so I kind of need to work together with that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And something as simple as, yeah, using more, um, what's the word more natural fibers so that stuff can be shredded. I mean, that's pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what's one thing that you would tell your younger self about clothes, knowing what you know now and knowing what you know about the fashion industry, like what's some advice oh, you'd man. give to your younger self?
1: Um, <laughs> I think, Um, The first thing I would say to myself is learn how to sew. (laughs) Learn how to mend. I didn't start doing that until after college. And I didn't really like take a deep dive into learning how to mend after I had this huge realization. But if I, I mean, my, my grandmother is, was a seamstress. She made so many of our dance costumes and like Mm. just The resource was there for me, and I think that there's one thing I wish I did, or just like had a little bit more access to, was like learning how to sew, learning how to take clothing that I already had and turn it into something that I wanted it to be, instead of just relying on like going shopping and like finding something new, or even just like instead of just like cutting things up, you know, like yeah, (laughs) (laughs)
0: like it's a crop top now. You're like, oh my gosh, yeah, like you
1: can't crop a sweater, Erin. It's gonna it's gonna unravel.
0: Oh my gosh. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. That's definitely one thing that I wish I knew. And, um, yeah, I think going back to the feeling the responsibility as the consumer, as the consumer to solve all the problems, I think that I would kind of ease myself with that a little bit, because I think once I learned about all of this, I really had this, judgment towards people who like were still shopping fast fashion Mm. and going back and being like correcting that behavior and being like, it's not about just like consumerism. It's so much more of a system and that is beyond what just one person can change. And I think there's there's a lot of shame in like shopping cheaply and like finding different ways to like be trendy. And I think that's something that like I would want to change my perspective on even sooner. Yeah. Oh, I feel that one very,
0: very deeply too. Um, oh yeah, that's a really good yeah. one. <laughs> but
1: it's, it's also like a hard thing to like come to terms with because yeah. I think the most immediate thing, the most immediate reaction that we have is what can I do? Like, what can I do as yeah. an individual? And yeah. it is like the easiest thing to control. But in the reality of it is that like the biggest way that we can make change is like making policy and making companies more accountable and like fighting for that and not just like making ourselves feel terrible about that one yeah. Amazon purchase. Yeah, like,
0: exactly. And yeah. like how shame, oh, sorry, I'm moving away from the mic. How like shame doesn't actually, it feels like a good motivator in the moment, but it's not a sustainable motivator for change um, for us as individuals. And like, Yeah. Also that like, it's a bit of a luxury being able to have the resources to shop ethically too, you know, absolutely. Um, not a lot of people absolutely. live in a, a city where they can go walk to a thrift store or like have the money to spend on that or the time to go look for something. Um, but yeah, yeah. Wow. That's that. Oh my goodness. That's so good. Is um, there any questions that you wish I had asked you?
1: Um, I do. I want to like... Go a little deeper into FabScrap's operations. I feel yes. like I didn't go yes. as like deeply into how we function. So yeah. the way that so like I said, we're a fabric and textile recycling nonprofit, but like we have three main forms of operation. So mm-hmm. the way it works is that we have brand partners who use our service who essentially fill up these bags of materials that they no longer need from their design process or like they consider waste. Mm -hmm. We collect those materials um, and that's the service part. So we collect the materials from brand partners. Second part is our volunteers and our sorting process. So we rely a lot on our community to help us sort through these materials. So they're looking for, like we talked about, anything that is shreddable, anything that is reusable, um, scraps with high spandex content, content, just doing that sorting and breaking down and deconstructing the materials that we receive And then there is the third aspect, which is where my job is primarily, is the redistribution of materials. So whether that is finding routes for donations with fabric or the sample garments that we receive, Mm. Um, the reuse room, which is our fabric thrift store and pricing and making fabrics available at thrift store prices for our community. And also our online store, so people can also shop online and find more specialty or um, rare, I guess rare fabrics yes. on <laughs> online store too. So we have this three part system that is the recycling and the redistribution. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I like, I love to emphasize, and I think is like one of my favorite parts about Fab Scraps Mission is that we want to give away as much fabric for free as we want to sell. We want mm. to be 50-50. So access to materials is such a huge part of our mission and making sure that anyone, whether it is a small business, a startup designer to a home sewer or a student learning how to sew can access these materials that normally they wouldn't gain access to. Yeah. Wow. Yes. The low down,
0: the, the <laughs> like, what is the bird's eye view of, uh, Of how that operates. Wow. And you're right. That is so replicable. Yes. Replicable Um, kind of across the board. Wow. Yeah. Um, Well, I really enjoyed talking with you. This was such a pleasure.
1: (laughs) Where can um, our listeners find you, find Fab Scrap, get connected or involved? Yeah, definitely. So Fab Scrap is on Instagram at fab underscore scrap. Um, big, big shout out for people in the New York city and Philadelphia area, because we always want and need new volunteers to come help us sort. So definitely sign up for a volunteer session, come in and sign up for a shopping appointment to shop our reuse room in New York or Philadelphia. We, um, and if you're not in New York city or either of these places, you can always shop with our online store too. and. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we have so many opportunities for people to be involved with Fab Scrap. So whether you're, if you're a small business or a small designer, we have a featured artist and featured designer program where we team up with you and we sell your products on our online store. Um, our volunteer program is huge, and we're always wanting to expand our community. So definitely follow us on Instagram and give our website a look.
0: Yeah, you got it. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Erin. This was such yeah. a pleasure. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I hope you have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you. You too.
0: Bye. Thanks so much for joining us for today's episode of Beyond the Stitch. Our music is by Trish Vega. You can look up on Spotify. Our editing is done by Doug Cool. Thank you, Doug. You're the bomb diggity. Um, And I just really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for being with us. And I can't wait for you to hear next week's episode.